Good morning. Welcome to Spruce Grove Community Church. As we're starting here this morning, my heart is burdened. Because of what's in front of us this year, I feel like, like there's something hanging in the balance that God wants us to contend for. And I know, you know, likely if I asked every single one of us here, visit those that are visiting today for the first time in our our regulars, you know, what preoccupies you? You're, you're, there's probably a list, a litany of things that you're burdened about, you know, things you want to see happening in your own life, in your business, in your workplace, maybe emotionally in your life or maybe in the lives of family or children or wives or marriages. But you know what? There's a scripture that says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And all these other things will be added to you. And the context that Jesus said that was, it, was this, is that, is that there's all of these needs that we have, all of these fears, all of these things that are appropriate. And God says, and God knows, Jesus said, God knows, your Father knows that you have need of these things. But listen, he said, is he not much better than anything you know? Can't he... I mean, if he takes care of the birds and if he takes care of, of all of creation, don't you think he can do that? And don't you think he desires to do that? He said, so don't focus on what you need right now. Seek first the kingdom of God and all of those other things that you, would, you could spend your whole life pursuing, chasing, trying to establish Seek first. Have this one objective. God, I want to see the manifestation of your kingdom. Even if I don't know what that means today, I want to see the manifestation of your kingdom. God, I'm here to worship you this morning. Lord, I have needs. I have there's crisis in my family. There's crisis in my life. I'm surrounded by challenges. But Lord, I'm going to say, what do you need today? What is... What is the requirement of your heart? I'm going to fix myself in this line, in this direction. I'm going to pursue you for what you want today. So I want to encourage you as, we, as we're beginning this morning. God is looking for worshipers. God is looking for those whose eyes are fixed entirely on him. Can we give him that this morning? Don't fix your eyes on yourself. Don't feel guilty. Oh, God, I haven't read my Bible this week. I didn't hardly think about you over Christmas. Don't even, don't even spend a second trying to, you know, coddle your shame. Just enter boldly. Lord, I am your son. I'm your daughter. And I... I'm just going to worship you. I'm not going to spend time thinking about what I didn't do yesterday. I'm going to worship you today. So, Father, I pray. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, may your kingdom come. Lord, as we lift our eyes to you, as we declare that you are the answer for the nations, you're the answer for Canada, you're the answer for my children, you are the answer for my business, you are the answer for what ails Spruce Grove today, God, we say in Jesus' name, we want to follow after you. We want to seek after you. 
We want to worship you. We want to say that you have the resources to change the whole earth. You have the resources to change my life, my heart. You have the resources. You are the answer. Let's focus, put our eyes totally on him this morning. Just before we move to the next song, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share a word in a little bit. And I'm going to try and identify some of the things that we're feeling right now. Because, and I don't want to ex- over-explain it right now, but I, I want to encourage you to contend for a breakthrough right now. You know, most of us are sitting back hoping something's going to happen. Or, you know, we're just trying to get through this morning. There is there is something over Christmas seasons that creeps in through the sentimentality of tradition, through the expectation of... Uh, certain feelings and expressions and hopes that seem to materialize at Christmas time. And we have to step over that right now. We have to step out of that sentimentality, that traditional expectation of certain, uh, you know, outcomes or whatever it is. We need to, we need to worship in spirit and truth. I would encourage you, anybody who's in the room, I see all kinds of conversations taking place. I, I, I see minds that are distracted. That we need to follow hard after God. I'm going to explain later why that is. But we need to... There are lives that are hanging in the balance right in this room right now. And you may not... You may be all right. You may get through the next week. But there are people who may not get through today if we don't break through for them. And there's a spiritual warfare around lives that are in this room right now. And I encourage you, if you, pray, if you can pray in tongues... I want you to just begin to pray in tongues and stir your spirit. Father, we pray right now in the name of Jesus, we will not be passive. God, we will not be passive. Lord, the violent take the kingdom by force. God, those that know how to enter into the fray, enter into the fray. Lord, we will enter into your presence. You said to enter boldly by the blood of Jesus. God, we're not going to stand off at a distance. Lord, we want to have an encounter with your face right now. And every person that knows how to have a face-to-face encounter with the presence of God is stepping in right now. Just step in. Step in. Step in. In the name of Jesus. Lord, we're contending. We break the power of that passivity. That sleep, that slumber, in Jesus' name. Pray in tongues to exhort yourself. Exhort yourself. Encourage yourself. Jesus, stir. 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 Stir in Jesus' name. We're going to sing that again. But just before he sang that, I had a picture of Samson. And a word that says this, that when you were sleeping... The Philistine spirit came in and cut your strength. While you were sleeping, and I actually literally saw shackles coming on people, that the enemy is always looking to enslave you. And there are people this morning in this room that feel shackled. It's like your strength has drained out of you. And a thief has crept in during the night while you were sleeping and put shackles on you. 
but you don't have to stay there and you don't have to wait for a moment. You can recapture that moment right now. And unlike Samson who had to wait for his hair to grow back, you can just step into a place right now. Encourage you right now. Just stand up where you are and just put your foot down. Just say right now, no, I'm not going to lay down and I'm not going to take this. I'm not going to be a victim. I'm not going to be a victim. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, let courage, let courage come back. Let strength come back. Let hope come back. Father, we pray in the name of Jesus that God today would be another incremental step in our growth, in our, in our walk, God, that we realize, Lord, the things that you've already given to us, you've already put in our hands, that, Lord, God, we don't have to wait for uh, a breakthrough, God, that the victory is near us, and you said it's even in your mouth. God, show us what that means. God, show us what that means, that our breakthrough is not in somebody else's hands. It's not in the hands of musicians. It's not in the hands of the preacher. My victory is near me, so near, you said it's even in my mouth. God, what does that even mean? God, awaken me. I pray that you pray this right now. God, awaken me to what that means, that my victory is near me. It's even in my mouth. God, real, authentic breakthrough for my life, my real life, ascension, breakthrough, victory, deliverance is near me, and it's in my mouth. God, show us what that means. Let a spirit of revelation be on us today, God, in Jesus' name. Turn the tide that will never again be victimized by a seducing, slumbering spirit again. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. You know, the Bible says that we have weapons that are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, and that those weapons can bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. That means there are thoughts that are contrary to Christ's thoughts. There are thoughts that originate from a fallen nature. And there are thoughts that can take those thoughts into captivity. So the first step is realizing that, hey, which one is you operating in? You know, when when you're defeated or depressed or slumbering or passive or, you know, you don't want to go to church, you don't want to pray, you don't want to, you know, just what is that? And can you do anything about that? Or do you have to wait till it passes? And that's the thing. You don't have to wait till it passes. You need to take that captive, that environment, that emotion doesn't come from nowhere. It's not a product of, you know, oh, we had turkey. I must sleep. But there is a, there's a victory that's near you. And, you know, it says when, when John is writing to the Christians, he breaks their maturity into three stages, little children, young men, fathers. He says, little children, you know, you've known the Father and, and you know, God loves you. But young men, you've overcome the wicked one. And that's a, that's a stage when you start realizing, hey, you know, I'm living in this world where I'm chalking things up to natural phenomena when re- in reality there's a spiritual warfare that's taking me captive. I'm being exploited by an enemy I didn't even know I was fighting. And I thought I was chalking it up to, well, I was working hard this week or, you know, my blood sugar's low or da-da-da-da. And those things do happen. But which comes first, the chicken or the egg, Right. Which one is, is first, the spiritual or the natural? And, uh, and the Bible explains to us that the, the natural responds to the spiritual, that the natural exists because of the spiritual. That means the level 
of your focus and your warfare has to be the spiritual first because the spiritual dictates to the natural. And so young men, is the, he was addressing those that had come into the realization that, wow, I'm not a victim. I can overcome. I can come out of these things, these cyclical things in my life that he used to think, oh, you know, it's just the way it is. In my family, we got this. You know, that's the way my dad was. That's the way my, my grandfather was. That's the way I'm going to be. No, no, no. You are made for higher things than this. You've been, you've been grafted into another genealogy, not just the genealogy of your physical line. So you can break free from that, that expectation of disease, right? Mental disease, emotional diseases, propensities, physical diseases. You, the, what it means to be adopted, what it means to be grafted in, what it means to have citizenship in heaven is you're free from all those things. You're not subject to these things. Come on. You're not subject to these things anymore. Lord, I want to lay hold. What is the DNA of the risen son? That's the DNA I want working in my body. What does the citizenship of of the heaven look like? God, I want that working in my mind, in my emotions. God, I claim that. I, I want to step into that. Amen? This is the year for you. This is your year. This is your year. All right. Father, I thank you for today. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you, God, that uh, oh, that you have, Lord, a plan for our improvement. God, you have uh, a path for our life, Lord, uh, that is specific and general. So, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name that you would make us into victorious believers in Jesus' name. So uh, this morning, uh, I, w- I want to talk about some things. I'm going to share a little bit about my aspects of my testimony, but things I learned about this journey that translate to you as individuals. Now, we're not all exactly the same, right? So some of my experience, some of your experience is, is going to be different. I mean, some of the things, you know, in terms of the gifting and, and what you're called to, but, but as it pertains to being a son or a daughter of God, and when I say son, I mean daughter, right? Sons of God includes female gender as well. But uh, there are things that are universal, right? When Jesus said, the words I speak to you are spirit and are life, you know, he, did, he, he, was, he was giving an example of how to function in the kingdom. And so he wasn't, there wasn't an option to opt out of that. You couldn't be a disciple of his and not function this way. You had to learn to operate in the Spirit. And so, you know, it's not, that's not just for those prophetic people. That's not just for those intercessory people. Operating in the Spirit is native, is essential, is the, the uh, you know, the bottom common uh, part of the equation that all of us need to operate in. That's why we become born again. Our spirit becomes alive. And then we learn how to operate from a spiritual foundation. And so uh, I wanted to talk about some things around that because, I mean, yeah, we're coming out of Christmas and there are very distinct challenges around Christmas. But as I came in and began to pray this morning, I began to feel 
that those challenges sort of represent uh, challenges that some people have every day. Because I started to remember back what it felt like when I was a young Christian. And I'm not going to share my whole testimony, but when my mom got born again, I was like, uh, I think I was 12 years old or something like that. So we, of course, prayed the prayer. We got baptized in the Holy Spirit. And then I subsequently backslid. And for a bunch of years, I did not serve the Lord. And as I look back at that period of time, I, I realized that I saw some things that if I had fully understood them, I wouldn't have backslidden. Okay? So, and those things that I'm going to talk about are almost features or characteristics of spiritual warfare in your life, but they really help delineate the things that you need to overcome, that every single one of us are facing in some ways the same things, and if we overcome them, we can keep a vibrant faith. So, so the, if there's a title for this message, it's kind of like, how do, you, how do you maintain a vibrant faith? How do you maintain a victorious, vibrant faith? How do you, how do you keep from week to week to week the enthusiasm to continue to serve God? How do you keep the enthusiasm to continue to want to pray and, and to come to Sunday and Wednesday night to worship and to come before the presence of the Lord? The funny thing is, when I think back to when I was a teenager, when I was 13 years old, the challenges I had then are the same challenges I see not just young people having, but full-grown adults having spiritually. So maybe they're worth talking about. Hey, what do you think? Wow. Yeah, maybe. So uh, let, let, me, let me just say this, that to begin with, I'm going to read a verse from James chapter 2, verse 19. You believe that there is one God, you do well. All right. So, you know, you're thinking, oh, I, I believe, I have faith, I, I believe in God, that's great. What does he say after that, though? He said, even the demons believe and tremble. And he goes on to say, faith without works is dead. So his point is, having a faith, having a belief in God, having a, you know, an idea that God is alive is not enough. It's not enough. Well, I, I'm a Christian. I go to church from time to time. That's great. I, and I'm glad you go to church from time to time. What we need to int be introduced to is the fact that there is a warfare. There is a real enemy, a real thief, and he has a litany of strategies to, to make your faith ineffective. And on the other side, God has a litany of even greater means, weapons, uh, anointings, gifts, to overcome anything the enemy can throw against you. So that means when every time we, we, we falter, we fail, we backslide, there's no excuse for it because God has provided what's necessary. So it's not like we're victims. So, uh, so God is saying, listen, it's great to have a faith, but there is something more than the idea of, I believe in God. Now, coming out of Christmas, this is the hardest time of the year, right? I mean, it used to be when this is the time when you could actually motivate people to be God-minded, who aren't normally God-minded the rest of the year. Now, what, you, what happens is instead, we're not getting the unsaved to be God-minded because it's sort of that expression of God in the culture is not there. But we're not even getting the Christians to be God-minded because they're so caught up in the sentimentality of Christmas. Let me tell you a, a testimony or a story. I remember years ago, I was in a church as a young Christian, 
And it was my first experience realizing that not many people were really fervent for God. It's like they were Christians, they tithed, they went to church, but, but they, weren't, they didn't really love God. They did what was necessary, the, the very base, base amount of things to be still identified as a Christian. I was sort of mystified by that. I thought, I thought what is that? And I remember as a young Christian being at, I, I mean, I came to Edmonton, I moved to Edmonton, I stayed with a lady who was, was um, living uh, or going to Central Pentecostal there. So I went there, I played hockey for the hockey team, I made some friends. I started looking at some of these friends that had grown up in the church, and I'm thinking, they got no passion for God. And so everything is about, is about what you're allowed to do. And I, and I thought, what do you mean you're allowed? Like, like why, why are you always looking for the line? You know, I just didn't understand that focus. But I remember one time, and I, there was a service, and I saw this one guy who, who was passionless about his faith, but he had this teary-eyed moment where he was, he was weeping. I didn't ask him why, but I thought, oh, well, you know, that's cool, right? He, he's a, you know, I mean, he had an emotional moment. He had, obviously, something of God touched him, Right? And I started realizing after watching, for, he had quite a few of those. But it didn't change his faith. It didn't change his passion. I thought, what is that? What is this thing where you can have an emotional moment and yet not be changed? What is that? And basically the Holy Spirit is saying, well, whatever it is, it's useless. But what I began to realize as I watched that phenomena in the lives of believers is that there's a realm of soul experience that helps nurture nostalgic ideas that you are not so off, far off from God that are not spiritual. What? The Bible talks about a form of godliness without the power. Okay. A form of godliness, that means it has all the trappings. It looks like Christianity. It looks like faith. It looks like an authentic experience because you have feelings, but it's not spiritual in nature. So I've been a student of this for a long time. And I've been a student of this because God has started working at me and saying, okay, there are distinct points when I started to settle into expressions that were rooted in my soul, in my feelings world, that were essentially spiritual, that were designed to have an emotional moment to make me feel like I was having a connection with God without actually having a... a, See, connections with God are always life-changing. Let me say that again. Connections with God are always life-changing. Wow, that's kind of heavy. You're taking the tally of how many life-changing moments you've had, right? And you think, wow, there's not really that many of those. Could there be more? What if, what if the real distraction from life-changing moments is pseudo-moments? Forms of godliness are a distraction from actual manifestations of God. This is why we, one of the principles I, I love to point at every once in a while, it's, you know, it's in First John, it says, For this purpose was the Son of God manifest that he might destroy the works of the evil one. And I heard a word by a fellow years ago, it talked about this. The purpose for Jesus coming, 
is to destroy the works of the evil one. And what's dest- what destroys the works of the evil one is the manifestation of God. That means what we're after is the, always the manifestation of God. So the idea of coming together for a nostalgic moment in commemorating the fact that we have a general faith in God is not that. I mean, this is what we need to understand. He says, listen, the demons believe and the demons tremble. You don't even tremble. The demons believe and tremble. That's not enough. So having moments, and this is what we begin to need to realize, is, and this is what the Lord began to do. The Lord began to draw a line in my life between moments that were rooted in a feeling or an orientation or tears or nostalgia, or, you know, the same kind of experience you'd have if your dog died, right? You know, very emotional, gut-wrenching, blah, 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 blah. But that those have no value towards godliness. Yet, they're so real. In some ways, they're more real than a spiritual moment. Because spiritual moments are rooted in the spirit. Let me just say, spiritual moments you can only engage with by your spirit. The overflow of that starts to touch the other realms of your being. But the part that is spirit is less substantial most times than those things which are soulish. That's why our bent is always to have an emotional experience to tell us that God is close. Father, I pray today, as I'm praying, I encourage you to do this, to to just begin to want to see the difference. Just begin to want to know the difference because how tragic would it be for us to stand before God and having, you know, hundreds of emotional teary-eyed moments that to others may look like a connection with God, but it only be a sentimental expression of guilt or, or something else that does not empower actual godliness, that doesn't carry the manifestation of God. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would bring a sword that divides between soul and spirit in our lives. God, we want to know what is really real, what really makes for a transformed life. God, there is, I believe, God, that there is a grace and a power that you want to pour out on our lives that will give us the zeal to follow hard after you all the days of our lives. God, to not even count that we've really even done anything, even if we have sacrificed everything for your name. God, we don't want to live in that nostalgia, that God, that soulish-based reward system that as soon as we do something even remotely godly, we feel like we've done you some great favor. God, give us the zeal that comes from heaven, Lord, that makes us unaware of our sacrifice and free us, Lord, from that soulish, self-sacrificing, messianic complex, God, that's rooted in ourselves. Anyway, it's not as actually profound as it might seem or as complex as it might seem. It's simply this. There are things that originate in your soul and there are things that originate in your spirit. Let me, let me say this. Hope, you know, at least as it's used in, um, in Romans, right? Uh, now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. You know, uh, faith is the substance of what is hoped for. So that means... Hope is less real as it regards to faith than faith is. Faith is a substance of hope. That means hope, to have hope, 
is, is a, something that's re- belonging to the realm that's less real, less permanent than faith. So, oh, I have hope. Well, that's great. That's great. But hope's something that rises and falls in your life. You're more hopeful one moment of the week than another moment of the week or the month or the year or your life. So hope rises and falls. Faith, actual faith is more substantial. And, and actual faith, uh, you know, it actually doesn't decrease as rapidly as hope does. It actually has a, is a steady increase in your life. While hope kind of goes like this. Faith yeah. is on a steady plane of increase, hopefully increase. That's why, that's why the idea of faith... Uh, can be misunderstood, represented as hope. Hope, you know, people who have a knowledge, you know, people who believe in God can have a hope that things will get better, but things never change. Why? Because there's no faith added to the equation. There's no manifestation of God that's added to the equation. Now, I've, I've, I've digressed. So when I was a young person, I, I got saved, got filled with the Holy Spirit. I went to these meetings and in the meetings, I, I remember classically this moment where I started not wanting to go to the meetings, and and then uh, and then I would go to my mom made me, and so we'd go to these meetings and we begin to worship and we begin to sing, and something would start to become alive in me. Something would be refreshed, and I would I would re- at the end of the meeting I was like, oh, I just want to serve God with all my life. I was like, this is so crazy. I didn't even want to come to church. You know, I didn't want to come to the meeting in the morning. And, and you know, at the end, I think, oh, I, God is so real. Uh, you know, and this is great. And then, and then Monday comes along, and Tuesday comes along, and Wednesday comes along. And th- by Thursday, I don't want to go to church again. And I'm thinking, what is, what is this? Oh, Father. Father. I feel like, like even right now, the Holy Spirit... Is trying to pull, is trying to penetrate some mindsets. You know, I feel like the enemy's trying to distract some people right now with, what do you say? Are you saying my faith is not valid? What are, you, are you saying my faith is not legitimate? Are you saying that moment I had is, I'm not saying anything. But there is a reality that some, some events in our life are more rooted in eternity than others. And I'm not deciding for you which is which. I'm just asking this. Look at them objectively in terms of their permanence. Look at them objectively in terms of how much they change your life. Now, when I, when I came in this morning, I, uh, I wrote down a couple of questions. Are you, are you often tired? Like, do you, do you get so tired you don't want to do anything? You want to just sleep all the time? Is it hard for you to pray in tongues? Uh, do you come to church and enter worship and you're kind of hoping that it's done soon? Is your expectation of what God can do today, is it at all-time high? Or is it, eh? You know, when the disciples were walking with Jesus, there was a day when, when they were in the garden and, and Jesus was facing his most horrific trial. I mean, the most horrific thing. And you know what? The disciples were not, not to be seen or heard, right? They were basically vacant. You know, Jesus there, I mean, he's sweating blood, right? And the disciples are sleeping. How is it they had no awareness 
of the criticalness of the hour. You know, because sometimes we think, oh, yeah, I'll serve God with all my heart when it becomes important. You know, I remember young people always, well, when it really... No, you won't. The disciples are there at the most critical moment of Jesus' life and ministry, and they couldn't even discern it. What about Jerusalem? The center of spiritual sentimentality, right? Judaism, right? The, you know, the for, forms of godliness coming out the yin-yang. All, all sorts of expressions that would, you know, one would associate with, you know, high levels of morality. There's no other nation in the world that is, is so, you know, connected to God. And yet he says to them, he says, because you didn't know the day of your visitation, you're going to lose every, this city, you're going to, not one stone will be left on another. When, when it's said and done. In other words, you can be so asleep spiritually, you have no idea of the moment that you're in. So the question is, how does that happen? How do I get to that place where that happens? Flash, fast forward to another era, when, and I've told this story before, but I've got to tell it again because it sort of epitomizes the nature of the struggle that you have every day, but you may not know you have it. I was in Poland, and I went there to preach, and when I got there, the atmosphere was so nullifying to my zeal, it was the hardest thing I could do to even want to leave my hotel room. Like I, I, I literally, I didn't, want, I didn't want to get up in the morning, I didn't want to get dressed, I didn't want to go to a meeting, I didn't want any responsibility, and here I am on a missions trip, and I'm the keynote speaker for this conference, and I don't want to leave my hotel room. And I'm, I'm thinking, how did I get here, <laughs> right? Now, fortunately, I have faced that before, just not so, it didn't happen so suddenly like it did in this environment. And so I knew what to do. I knew that I could stir my spirit, that my spiritual, that, that my excitement for God, my enthusiasm, my belief that God is real and that I could touch him and have a moment in God right this second, I knew that that could be generated without the help of a worship team. I knew that that could be generated without the help of hands being laid on me by the anointed prophet coming through town. Well, how did you realize that? Because I had seen the tendency when I was young, as a young Christian, that, wow, if I actually pray in tongues outside of a service while I'm driving my car or riding the bus. I actually didn't have a car at that time. I'd be walking to McDonald's or walking or I could get my guitar and just strum, you know, three chords, C, G, F, C, G, F, and sing. Man, that same presence, that same life, that same revitalizing grace from God would come upon me, would begin to filter through my spirit. And it's like, it's like I had the highest moment ever, and I'm right here in my dorm room by myself. Amen. I could be walking down a path and praying in tongues and having the most blissful moment with God. I mean, it, moments that, that rival the greatest moments with guest speakers coming in. I could have that while I'm walking down a path. Amen. Well, guess what I started to do? I started to do that all the time. And I started to realize that there was this cloud that would start to come over me at different times and that I had the tools to combat that cloud, to to fight it, to keep it from settling on me. Now, it wasn't easy because when you don't feel like praying in tongues, guess what? 
you don't feel like praying in tongues. And, you know, part of you says, well, you know, can it really be in the spirit if I don't feel like doing it? Right? I mean, that's a legitimate question when you really haven't really gotten away from the feelings part of your life. I must, for it to be authentic, I must feel it. But I don't feel like going to school. Well, you're going anyway. Right? You know, feeling is not the prerequisite. So let me say this. Feeling for breakthrough is not a prerequisite. That you have gifts, you have weapons in the arsenal that God has given you for overcoming that are not rooted in what you feel like right now. In fact, they're meant to negate what you feel like. And so I started doing that as a young believer because there was lots of challenges. Now, looking back, they weren't very serious, but they were nevertheless challenges for me, you know. I'm not happy today. An immense challenge. Ah, so anyway, when I, by the time I got to Poland, and I'm responsible for creating an atmosphere in a conference, and I can't even leave my bedroom, or I didn't want to, I know that, man, I, I had to pray in tongues. And to my astonishment, I had to pray in tongues like all day long, every day in this place. Now, I didn't realize all the things that I was up against, and there, there actually were, were some, some things that were being facilitated by the the leadership of that stream of churches that are, you know, which was a whole other thing. But I was nevertheless in the middle of a kind of a spiritual warfare that was so intense. I could not, I mean, after 10 minutes of not praying in tongues, I felt like I didn't want to do anything spiritual. I mean, that's a pretty intense environment. I mean, when I, even as a young Christian, it would take me three days to not want to do anything spiritual. Well, what is happening? What is, what is really going on that that inside of you that after three days of not, you know, uh, I came out of that church so zealous, so committed to following God. Now it's Wednesday, and I don't want to, I don't want to do anything. Well, you are getting further and further away from an actual moment of manifestation. See what God is wanting to. I mean, what does it say? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word which proceeds from the mouth of God. So man shall not live by bread alone, but you live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That means that kind of like when you eat food, right? You remember the story when the Israel was fighting and all of a sudden everybody was tired and they were told not to eat, but, but uh, one of the guys put his sword in, in a honeycomb and he, and he took and just a little bit and his eyes brightened, right, Jonathan? Anyway, the story is a side note. But food... Makes you bright, awakens you, makes you, gives you vitality. Spiritual food does the same thing. And so, what God is trying to do when you're a young, when you're a child, you don't know how to feed yourself. When you become a young man, you actually start to overcome the enemy because you've discovered that you can access food. You can go into the fridge, make some toast, you know, boil an egg. So spiritually. What it means to be a young man who overcomes the enemy is you actually realize, hey, I don't have to wait till Sunday to be revitalized. I don't have to wait till, you know, the worship team is really on to get my life back on track. Well, is that just for Mark or is that for everyone? It's for everyone. It's for the sons. Actually, becoming a son is getting to the place where you can now not only do things for yourself, but facilitate it for others. 
But the truth is, every time that we have a breakthrough, it's because somebody is facilitating that breakthrough. Somebody who doesn't want to get, get out of bed spiritually actually gets out of bed. So when I was in Poland, and I'm getting these cascading weights, I just got to pray in tongues. But what I know, what I know is this, is that if I pray in the Spirit, and I have that classic moment, and this was a defining moment for me. I'm driving to the city called Gliwice, and, we're, uh, and we're, as we're driving there, I just, I'm numb. I don't want to pray. My mind's kind of, you know. Have you ever, uh, ever been in church on Sunday morning, and you're kind of, and about 20 minutes into the worship, you're like, oh, you know, let's pray, let's sing, hallelujah, God's here, Right? Because you were under something and you got awoken. Well, how much of my week am I under that then? A lot. Unless you know how to do this. Unless you know how to stir yourself. Unless you know how to come out from under. Unless you even know that there is something to be under. So how do you maintain a, a vital faith? How do you keep enough zeal in your life so you want to go to prayer on Wednesday night and you, you want to show up for the conference and, and you want to go to church on Sunday because, because you realize that there is a manifestation of God that gives life to every cell in my being and I crave it. I love it. And I can have it. And it's so much better than that slumbering, lethargic sentimentality that causes me to... Oh, if only somebody could minister to me. There is a victory yes. available yes. for us. Hallelujah. Father, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, God, we pray, Father, for a clarity, for a clarity in us, in Jesus' name. So, uh, I'm going to move over to the next thing in a second. So what I discovered, though, is despite the weight of this thing and the fact that, I mean, I've been sleeping all night, and during the night, it's like the enemy's creeping up on me. I think you can't even sleep without in this in Poland, without you know this warfare taking over. It's like, man, I, I always got to fast and pray for four days every morning. How do you do that? <laughs> so anyway, I'm on my way. I'm praying in times for about 20 minutes, 20 minutes. And what do I feel like? I feel like nothing. I don't want to go to this church. I don't want to be there. I don't want to pray in tongues. I want to go back to the hotel and I want to watch TV. Except there's nothing in English. <laughs> now, how bad is it? You want to go and watch TV in another language. <laughs> right? I mean, it was heavy, heavy. But about, after about 20 minutes, I, all of a sudden, boom, I feel this... It's like this... This flash of life goes off inside of me and reverberates throughout the vehicle. And as soon as, and it just changes the atmosphere in the car. And as soon as it happened, I mean, I felt it boom. As soon as I did that, the two guys that were with me in the back seat started praying tongues. They, they were in that slumber. And then they, were, they, they came alive. Why? Because you releasing life, the manifestation of God yes. defeats the works of the enemy. Yes, yes, yes. The manifestation of God. What, why does God look for those who worship him in spirit and truth? Because the manifestation of God that comes when a company of people worship him in spirit and truth does that same kind of explosion of his presence in the room that makes people come alive. 
Remember the depictions, if you read the book, Rick Joyner's book about the final quest, and, and he's going to awaken the army, and they're all kind of slumbering, and, like, and he says, hey, guys, wake up. And there, there's zombie-like slumber. What is that? Are they not Christians? No, they're Christians. They're just, they're up against witchcraft and soulish powers that put you to sleep, that make you not interested in the things of God, that make you not want to... But, you know, when you start to realize that one path leads to death and destruction, and the other one leads to an increasingly higher place of freedom, functionality in the kingdom of God, I mean, do you really have a choice? Which one do you want in your life? That's it. Moot point in some respects. Shouldn't have to ask the question. Anyway, so as a as a young as a young person, I I mean I I think I was thirteen. I was thirteen years old, and I could see this happening. And I thought, you know, what I need to do, I need to go to church more often. But I didn't know I could have church by myself. Then that was a problem. Anyway, turn to. Uh, Oh, actually, let's start in Hebrews 5. I want to read a couple of things. Because there has become this popular idea in the minds of some that, that it's somehow illegitimate for you to make any assessments about anybody, else, anybody else's condition, that that somehow is judging. Have you ever heard this? You know, you shouldn't judge. No, 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 it doesn't say that. It says, the way that you judged, you will be judged. And there is spiritual judgment, and there is soulish judgment. There is unrighteous judgment, and, but there is righteous judgment. I mean, we're actually training to be judges. Paul says we're going to judge angels, right? So, so it's not that we shouldn't judge, but there's a way that we shouldn't judge. But you know what? Everything that's written in here is largely judging. As in making determinations about what is life and what is death. What is right and what is wrong. Do do we realize that? I want to break, Lord, that the demonic over the language. We are called to judge. And there are things that lead to hell. And there are things that lead to heaven. There are things that originate in hell. There are things that originate in heaven. And if, if you're not growing in your capacity to make the division between those two things, there's something wrong with your journey. Because that's what it's about. So to that end, the writer of Hebrews says this. He says, uh, he's talking about Melchizedek. He says, of whom we have uh, much to say and hard to explain. Especially since you have become dull of hearing. I think about that. Since you have become dull of hearing. Dull of hearing. What if, when Jesus was talking to his disciples and they didn't understand what he was saying. They didn't understand. I mean, what is he saying? Are you, have you become dull of heart? Are you that dull in your hearts that you don't understand what I'm saying? I mean, the disciples could say, well, maybe you should just give me a better illustration. What if understanding had nothing to do with the explanations? What if dull, understanding had to do with dullness of heart like it says in the Bible all the time? How dare you tell me I am dull? 
when Bob Jones first met uh, Mike Bickle, you, you, you might have heard this story. It's hilarious. It's great. I mean, Mike Bickle's telling him all these things, right? He, uh, somebody was just mentioning to me this morning. He said, Mike, uh, Bob Jones says to him, yeah, you're going to have 24-hour prayer. Nobody ever heard of 20-hour prayer with musicians and everything. It's like, Mike Bickle's like, I don't think so. Hey, I'm going to be praying for Israel. He said, I don't care about Israel. Why would I be doing praying for Israel? And then he said, and, and I see people in rice paddies in China uh, watching your worship and your prayer on unplugged TV sets. This is back in the 70s he told them this. There's no such thing as a cell phone. And as he thought, you're, you're loony. And, he, and Bob Jones says to him, he says, Does, do you understand anything I'm talking about? Said, no. I said, oh, the Lord said you were going to be dull, but I didn't know you'd be this dull. This is going to be a lot of work. <laughs> well, why am I saying that? I'm saying the progression out of dullness into spiritual viality is a real journey. And when some people see it more specifically, and you'll know them by their fruit, they actually see something. This stuff is real. We're not, we're not pretending you know, when the writer of Hebrews is saying, listen, I'd like to tell you more about this, but you can't understand because you're dull. You're slumbering. You, you, need, to, you need to do something. Something needs to happen to revitalize your spiritual life. Well, A, you mean that can happen? B, how can it happen? Like, that's the question, not how dare you. Right? I mean, the pride of our lives is, I go to church and tithe. Who are you to tell me I'm dull? Jesus tells us that. He said it to his disciples. I mean, if he said it to those 12, right, what are the chances we might have some dullness? I mean, my constant prayer is, God, help me. I want to be sharp because I walk with people that see things that I don't. And they say things with, I'm like, oh, they're, you know, it's like, they're, I see men like trees walking. They say, well, that's no, that's a guy and he's wearing this. I mean, some people see more clearly. I sort of see vaguely. And then when I hear somebody talk about the thing that I saw vaguely, I think, yeah, man, how did you see that? I was just barely getting an idea of where we were going. And you just, bump, 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 you know, spiritual vitality. Yes, there is an element of election. Yes, there is callings and gifts that, that help making those things clear, for sure. But the Bible does not, when it's evaluating our journey in God, does not give us the excuse that, oh, oh, well, you're an administrator. You don't have to see or understand anything that's happening. Right? Does it give us that out? Do you see any of that here? Is that the writer of Hebrews said, well, this is only for the prophetic intercessory types in the church. The rest of you, yeah, and there's no chance. Right. He says it's not because of your gifting or the administration of who you are or because you're, you know, not this or that. I, I'm almost, I was going to identify some things, but uh, that people might think I'm talking about them. <laughs> and I want you to think I'm talking about anybody. No, I mean, if Jesus could let him look at his disciples and say, there's a dullness on you, I want to sharpen you up. If the writer of Hebrews can say, listen, there's a dullness on you, I need to sharpen you up, our response should be, how sharp can I be? Yes. Amen. Right. True. 
What, what do I do? I mean, the reality is this. There is one paradigm of growth that we need to accelerate on. It's the paradigm of faith. I mean, everything else, you know, how good you get at, at wrestling or shooting a gun or hockey or anything. I mean, those are fun things and there's nothing wrong with them. But excelling in those things are not going to carry you through to eternity. But the skill set that God is adding to you right now by, by express dis, decisive sharpness in the spirit, it creates fruit for eternity in your life. I mean, if there's one thing we want to get better at, besides Call of Duty, it's, it's this stuff. So what is, it that, what is it that's adding dullness to my life? What, what is it? What are the things? What can, I, what can I do? Oh, well, you know what? As a 13-year-old, I knew I need to go to more meetings. And somebody said, and there's this thing going on in the body. Oh, you, you just want to populate the pews. No. But revivals are always about the presence of God and people being touched by that. And then what you do with it is what you're supposed to, you know, is, is important after that. But obtaining, I knew I needed to be around worship in spirit and truth because it made things come alive in me that when I was around unsaved, unredeemed people all week long, things, those things that were alive start to die. So I realized, okay, I need to do that. You know, as a 13, you know, and when I got to 15, I couldn't do it. I couldn't. So from 15 to 18, those are lost years. And, and I mean, I, I lost a lot during those years. But I didn't have to. And if I'd known how to revitalize my faith every day, maybe things would have been different. So turn, I'm almost done. Turn to uh, Luke. I think it's Luke 8. Yeah, Luke 8. Luke 8, verse 5. It's a parable you know very well. Verse 5, a sower went out to sow his seed, and he sowed, and some fell by the wayside, and he tramp- and it was trampled down, and the birds of the air devoured it, and some fell on the rock, and as soon as it sprang up, it withered because it lacked moisture. And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it, but others fell on good ground, sprang up, and yielded a crop a hundredfold. So basically here, Jesus is giving us an antidote for uh, what's the criteria for producing a harvest. And when I talk about harvest, I'm talking about everything of God in your life, beginning with zeal and excitement, the capacity to worship and the desire to follow hard after him. Are these things accidental? Do we have to just wait? Or is there a way that we can nurture the right things in our lives so that we can continue? Well, let's see what he says about these things. He begins to explain in verse 12, and he says... Those by the wayside are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. So I'm sharing some things this morning that may be stirring up a desire inside of you. Can you hold on to that? Have you ever had something where you're you're hearing a message and you're stimulated? And you think, I'm going to make a change in my life. And by Wednesday, 
Eh. Maybe that's overrated. Right? Because the devil comes and takes it away. I won't go into this part too much, but you know what, you know what he says about this word later? He says, he says, listen, take heed what you hear. In other words, the seed that's given, you could actually keep it. Well, how do you keep it? Well, this is being recorded right now. You can go back and listen to it four or five times this week. You can actually meditate on it. He said, take heed what you hear. Because the measure you give to it, it will be measured back to you. In other words, if there's something of value here, if you give yourself to it, it will take root in your being. I mean, do you want it to take root in your being? Or it's like, oh, it's a good thought. That was interesting. I was, you know, I thought particularly the, the analogy about such and such. Well, you got none of it. All you did was analyze it. You got to take it in. Take it into your being. Plant it like a seed. And keep it covered. So the devil comes, the birds of the air, the devil comes to take away, to steal the seed. That, that, that glimmer of hope and, and truth, that thing you saw, wow, the, the kingdom of God is about manifestation. I could, I could have a manifestation of God every day of my life, and that will create vitality. Can you hold on to that reality such that you can live that for the rest of your life? You could, if you wanted to. Again, these are the keys of the kingdom. These are the, the God, Jesus saying, listen, it doesn't have to be accidental. You could actually do things on purpose, increase your spiritual life on purpose. He said, but the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, uh, receive the word with joy, and these have no root, who believe for a while, but in the time of temptation fall away. Right? It's like sin is a deceiver. Sin promises things. You know what? You know, you could be really important. You could, you could be a who's who in your high school. You could be, you know, you could be one of the cool ones. You've got enough. You know, those other people you're hanging out, they're kind of losers. But you could be really cool. Verse 14. Now the ones that fell among the thorns are those who when they have heard, they go out and are choked with the cares, the riches, the pleasures of life, and bring no fruit to maturity. Bring no fruit to maturity. How many times has seed been planted in our lives, started to grow up, but never produced a harvest? How many, how many times has the enemy gotten in and stolen away your harvest just before the harvest. Wouldn't it be tragic to look on your life and say, man, I could have, that breakthrough that Pastor Mark is talking about, I could have had that here and here and here and here, and I lost it. Four times I lost it in my life. And I keep going back to square one, and I never got to that place where I didn't feel like a victim. But I could have crossed over that threshold and over, started overcoming the, the evil one. The ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble heart and good heart, keep it, 
keep it, and it bears fruit with patience. So what are we saying here? The capacity to be a vital, continuously revitalized believer. You know, have you ever looked at people in your life, how can you be so continuously zealous? You know, I, I'm so tired, I'm exhausted. I, you pray in tongues all the time. You go to church all the time. You, every time there's a prayer meeting, you want to go to a prayer meeting. How do I get away from this disillusionment of the depression, the darkness? I don't want to go to church. I just, I just want to play video games. I, I just want to go to movies. I just want to do fun things. I, just, I don't want to... It's such taxing burden to, to, to do spiritual things. I don't want to pray in tongues. How, how do you get to the place where you want to do those things? It's not a mystery. It's not a mystery. It might be hidden from our eyes, but it's not a mystery in the sense that it's being withheld from us. It's available to us. You could have open heavens above your head all day long, every day. Oh, I, I, I feel like there's some folks here in our church we're getting to a place, you know, because there is this thing in our life where we have these moments that take us out of, we can start to get excited and zealous for God. We start to go on this trajectory that, that is life-giving and creating zeal in our life. Then something happens, something comes over us that maybe somebody close to us has seen this cycle and this pattern, but we feel so disqualified by what happens in that time, we don't want to ever bring it to light. What if... What if correction could come to your life, not, by, not in a way that was, was to disqualify you, but to actually help you get over this hurdle so you don't have to visit again, it again next month? You know, because what we do is we protect in our lives the defects, and those defects are actually cycles that cause us to go from unfruitfulness to unfruitfulness. Whereas we could be having a continuing escalating harvest, we get the occasional harvest. Because, well, you know, if anybody knew about this, they might not like me as a Christian anymore. So let's hide this. Let's not be accountable about this. Let's not, let's not do anything to hold this seed. Let's just hope that this time it takes. The body, the nature of what God has given us is a community of yes. loving people. Yes. But we're all imperfect in this. Yes. We're all getting better. And maybe some people would be shocked at what's wrong with you. Me, I would not. Because I've looked in the mirror, and I know what's wrong with me, and I know what I've struggled with, and I know what other great men of God, great men of God have struggled with, so nothing would surprise me. But the fear that, oh, if people knew, but so these things come into your life, and they steal away harvests again and again and again. So Father, I pray today. That God, we, we could cross over this barren land. We have been, we've been moving, Lord, and the enemy keeps locking us in to a certain diminished experience. And we end up being satisfied with a soulish, tearful moment of nostalgia rather than a manifestation that changes our lives. God, bring us into manifestations. For this purpose was the Son of God manifest that he might destroy the works of the wicked one. Oh God. Oh God, I pray. Oh man, there's so many other things I could say about this, but I, I, we don't have time. I pray that you would know today that you are loved. Yeah. 
that you would know today that there are solutions. There are weapons mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. That yes, it's going to take patience, but there is a harvest to be had so that you don't have to keep going in the power of an oscillating hope that's up one minute, down the next. That there is a, tr- there is a faith that says now is the day of breakthrough. Thank you, Lord. So I'd like the worship team to come back. And uh, I don't know what we want to do now, but I want us to, at the very least, cultivate a, a response to the Lord. You can respond from your seat, and there's nothing, there's nothing particularly holy or superior about coming forward, except that, in my experience, coming forward helps me seal the moment. It helps me... It's a demonstrable for me. You know, it's like kind of being, being away from all the distractions. So I encourage you, let's stand up together. We're going to sing a song. And if you've uh, you got things to go do, I want to bless you and release you.